Good morning. Welcome to Coosa Valley Church of God. It is a beautiful day outside. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. God, give us a beautiful day for all of us to come together to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us be able to stand and worship him and glorify him, sing praises unto him. Just have joy, joy in your heart, because if you're a real Christian, you will have joy. No matter how you look at it, you have nothing but joy. God is good to us. He has blessed us in many, many ways. Allowed us to be in the house of God again, to be able to stand, and to be able to witness to you, also to teach, and to bless the name of the Lord. This morning, we'd like to say thank you for being there on live feed. May the Lord bless you abundantly. May you have the blessings of God in, even in your own home. Those that can and cannot get out, may God bless you. If you will, go with us in prayer this morning. And if you have a special need, a special request, please contact us so that we can pray for you. And those that need a healing, believe and you shall receive. That's what the Word of God says. And this morning, as we go before the Lord in prayer, I ask you to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I glorify your precious holy name. I stand before you this morning, O God, and I yield unto the Spirit of the Lord. Father, I stand here on holy ground, and I ask you, O precious Lamb of God, to speak through me. Let the man stand out of the way, and let the Spirit of the Lord begin to speak through me, O Lord that I might be able to say something, O oh God, that will bless others. Heavenly Father, that I may be able to take and say something that will lift someone up that is down. Lord, I pray that, God, that you will save the lost, heal the sick, heal the brokenhearted, O oh Lord. Only you can do those things. And Lord, I ask you, O oh Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to bless the people that are here and bless the people that are out there listening. And I ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today we're studying in Christ model for the church. Are you a model for the church? Do you do everything that is for your glory and your honor to be seen or heard? Or do you do the things for the glory of God that Jesus may be seen? more than anything else. We're going to learn about maintaining unity in the church body. We're going to minister to the body. And we're also going to know about how to mature in Christ together. The central truth, believers should minister one to another and experience spiritual growth. In focusing we discover how we are to function in the body of Christ and to seek to help others to mature in him. A unified church will, extract, will attract unbelievers unto Christ. And the golden text today reads that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried away about every wind of doctrine 
but speaking truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This morning our text is going to be brought in to you from chapter 4 of Ephesians 1 through 6, 7 through 12, and 13 through 16. Today we're going to learn how to walk and walk right before the Lord. When you say I'm a Christian, do you live that? Do you walk the talk? Do you go out and do you tell people about Jesus Christ? Do you live Jesus Christ before them? Do they see you as a Christian or do they see you as just, okay, another worker, just another person sitting in the restaurant, another person that, that is driving down the highway? How do you attract others to talk to you? Do you talk to them about Jesus Christ? Do you offer them a way of hope? Do you walk in that way of hope? Do they see Jesus Christ in you? Now, my daddy, he was a Baptist man, but he also went to the Pentecostal church. When we lived in Chicago, we went to the Church of God, and we also went to the um, Assemblies of God. And I want to tell you right now, when my dad took and he prayed, he prayed to the Father, and he believed in the Lord. My daddy didn't speak in tongues, but I want to tell you right now, when God used my dad, my dad's face would turn white as a sheet. And he would ask the pastors, can I get up and say something? And they would get up and they'd say yes. And when he got up to speak, people knew that my dad was a monkey during the other times. And he'd have a lot of fun with people. He'd make people laugh and talk. But when he got up behind the pulpit, there was a difference between him and the people that were sitting and listening. A lot of people didn't get up and they didn't start smiling or anything like that. They began to listen. They sat back and they heard what my dad had to say. Because my dad didn't get up and say things much because he feared God so much. You know, when we fear God the way that my dad did and we listen to the voice of God and we know that it is of God, then we walk the walk. We talk the talk. If we don't do these things, how are we supposed to win the lost how are we supposed to be able to take and tell someone, hey, I go to Coosa Valley Church of God. I sure would like for y'all to come and, and, and be in our service. I know y'all may go to this church here, and I know that um, on, on days that y'all don't have services, you know, come to ours and, and just, just fellowship with us. How many of us really do that nowadays? I do the best I possibly can to witness to people. I do everything I can to invite them to church because you know what? If we don't invite them to church, how are they going to know how to serve God? How are they going to know what kind of lifestyle that we live in church and what we live in church, do we live it outside of church? We need to take and maintain unity on doing these things around people that we work with. If we go out here and we have... We go to church and we speak all the blessings on one side of our mouth and we go out and we go to work. We're around other people and first thing you know, it's swear word, swear word, swear word. Oh, yes, yeah, swear word, swear word, swear word. Where, what, are we, what are we actually doing? Are we, are we literally walking our talk? Do we talk our walk? Or are we taking and causing something else? 
We need to take and we need to pray continuously that God will lead us in the right way of which way to go. There are today many places that don't have churches anymore. People are closing their doors. God, have mercy, shame on us that we are not praying enough to keep our doors open. We ain't praying enough to take and cause unity in the church instead of divisions and things like this here. It is our fault as a people that causes these things. If we would learn to keep our mouth shut and live what Jesus lived, and if we took and we said everything that Jesus says, where would we be today? How full would our church be today if we all did the things that we were supposed to do? We have to live the walk. We have to walk the talk. We need to be real so that people know us and see us. We need to be to the point that when Jesus says to go speak, we need to go speak. When he says to be silent, we need to be silent. Uh, when we walk the walk and be real are common expressions that people understand as a call to authenticity. It is basically all does in the of the letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians, the importance of the believers living up to their new status as a people of God. Paul previously described the Ephesians as aliens. Now, how would you like to be called an alien? We are an alien. We're alienated to this world. I tell you what, one of these, I'm only here for a little while. But when Jesus calls me home, I'm going to another country. Amen. I'm going to a city that's built of gold. I'm going to a city that there'll be no more sadness. Amen. There won't be no arguments. There won't be no splits. There won't be no diversities of everything. Hallelujah. However, that has changed. He has now finished his dis discussion of the incorruption of Gentiles unto the people of God. The Ephesian believers change in loyalty demands, a change in lifestyle. For when we are a Christian, how many people that, that did not live for the Lord years ago, did you live for the Lord? No, I didn't. Man, I lived like a nuthead. And I'm telling you what's the truth. I did. I, I cannot lie. I stand here. To me, I put myself on holy ground that I do not lie. Because I remember Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied to the Holy Ghost, what did that happen? They fell dead at Peter's feet. That is the same way that I put myself. I place myself firmly upon holy ground because it is necessary to tell the truth about things. It is necessary to live the right life. I lived things and I did things that was not holy. I was raised up in a church and I want to tell you what. I did things evil. Yes, I did. But you know what? I think I was the only one because no one else did. They all knew my past. They still know my past. But the thing of it is they don't see Jesus inside of me. That's the one thing people do not see anymore. They always remember your past. Oh, I remember what you did. Oh, I remember.
remember the things you did? Do you know what Jesus done for me? Do you know that Jesus lives inside of me? Do you know that Jesus changed my life? He brought me out of the pit. He brought me out of the deep miry clay. Do you know that my God says, Son, I reach out my hand and I grab you and I'm pulling you out of the deep miry clay. Son, I love you. Son, let me place a ring upon your finger. Son, let me place a robe upon you. You know what? He didn't have to do those things for me. He could have left me out there to die in my sin. But because of prayer and prayer from my mother and my dad and from the churches all around from here to Chicago was praying for me. Without God, where would I be? I don't even know if I'd be alive or not. There was no unity in my life. Everything was up. Everything was down. Everything was sideways. But I want to tell you right now, when God got a hold of me, God got a hold of me. And I thank God that he did. He, and, and I want to tell you, I want to serve him with everything in my power. I want to serve my God. But now I have to maintain unity in my life. If I am around people and they are starting to if I say something and my daughter will tell you if I say something and it's not right somebody's going to let me know real quick like and somebody that if anybody takes and talks to me hateful like when I'm trying to take and carry on a conversation I'll clam up and I'll shut up and I won't say another word why because you're not supposed to keep on and on on doing these things because if you say and do the wrong things afterwards and you say the wrong thing you're going to cause trouble and you ain't causing unity in the house you're not causing unity in the church you're not causing unity wherever you're at now you're causing confusion I do not want to do those things I have to maintain unity I have to be to the point to where that I know when to keep my mouth shut I know how to keep I definitely know how to keep my mouth shut. You can ask Amanda back there. She'll tell you. Now we have a divine calling upon our lives, each and every one of us. And that you'll find in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. I say that because I want everybody to get that. Love today has gone out the window. It's me, 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 I, I, I. It ain't no more loving my neighbor. It ain't no more loving the person sitting next to me in the church. It's all about me. No, it ain't. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, when we as people get together, we need to keep that peace. We need to show love one to another. Amen? Beseech. Here in verse 1, it is literally appeal or to beg. It is a gentle exhortation by the apostle to the Ephesians, such as an appeal rather than a command is appropriate as Paul summarizes the Christian life of describing in a vocation. 
The Ephesians are to live worthy in their vocation. The word vocation is simply a sense and a means of a call, what God has called you to do. When God has called you to do something, it is very important that you do those things. Because if you want to have peace in your life and you want to have some happiness in your life, it's best to do what God has called you to do and walk worthy of that call. The apostle specified four virtues that the Ephesians should remain, should maintain in their lives daily. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and love. The two, the first two is lowliness and meekness may be regarded as two ways of expressing the same quality. Jesus used the two terms together in Matthew eleven twenty nine when he said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Being completely humbled and gentle. Today's day and age, do we have that ability to stand when someone is making accusations against us? Or do we fly off the handle and really show whether we are really a Christian or whether we are not? If we fly off the handle over little things, what more, <laughs> what more will happen if something big came? So we have to be very, very, very careful how we live, even in the church house. You know, I remember growing up, being a little boy before we moved to Chicago, been up here at Pell City Church of God, and then down at Friendship where my daddy went. You know, everybody, you walk into the church, I don't care. Somebody's sitting over here and the house full and somebody, and, and before service, people was out talking. You, you, I mean, you heard people talking. You talk, heard people laughing. But if someone was in that altar all of a sudden, it got quiet. Somebody began to talk this way, but they would always shake their hands. Men would shake hands. Men would hug each other because of brotherly love. Then the women, what would they do? They would do the same thing. Do you see that in a church anymore? How many times do you see that in a church anymore? My friend, Brother Larry here, I hadn't seen him in a while. The very first thing I did when I first seen him come back into the house of God, I grabbed him and I shook his hand and I hugged his That is called brotherly love. That ain't nothing to do with homosexuality. That's to do with brotherly love and to be able to show compassion one to another. If we don't do those things, how is the new church world, how is the youth coming up? How are they going to know to do those things? You know, we need to be able to be to the point to where that we have brotherly love one to another to show affection to one another, not stupid affection, if you know what I mean. I'm talking about real affection, that my brother is my brother, my sister is my sister. Now, I realize that men don't go up and hug certain women. I, under, I, I respect that. But now, when it comes to sister Minnie, I'm getting my hug. That little, that little old lady, I tell you what's the truth, that woman's going to hug my neck one way or the other. That doesn't mean anything bad by that. That, to me, she's like my mother, you know? So we have to have something special. It's a unity to put together people in the house of God. 
when you come in. Be lovingly. Just because someone new walks in, say, oh, Lord, here comes somebody new. No, you reach out that hand. Hey, glad to have you today. Oh, come back to see us again. You know, how do you expect them to ever come back if we don't do those things? They need to see that there is brotherly love. They need to see that there is unity in the house of God. Amen? Because if there is unity in the house of God, hey, this is where I want to come. And then the pastor gets up and he preaches his heart out because of the anointing. They see that. They hear it because it makes them to the point, hey, do you know what happened? I walked into the church. Man, they came up and grabbed my hand and shook my hand and said, glad to have you today. I've been to churches where they didn't do that. Ain't you, Brother Emery? <laughs> well, we need to do those things. We need to be glad to have people. They need to see that there is unity of love in the house of God. They need to see that unity of, of peace in the house of God and in our lives. Long-suffering and forbearing is to reflect a proper attitude toward others. It is necessary to be patient yeah, how many people got patience today? Ah, okay, come on, now, let's be honest. I got news for you. Sometimes I don't have patience, especially when I'm behind that wheel and some nuthead up here is going to be turning left or right and he has no turn signal on. When did they change the rules of the road? You know? <laughs> Or, or are you driving down on the interstate and all of a sudden somebody's over here in the left lane doing 60 and here you are doing 70 and, and you're coming up on them. You have to move over and go around. It's like, hello, the right lane is over here. That's where the slow lane is. You know, I mean, no, I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I have issues. I'm a human being, but I have to put myself under subjection. I have to be long-suffering, forbearing, Sometimes I don't want to be, but I don't want to be short-tempered. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I am, and I have to catch myself, and I have to say, Oh, God, forgive me for the way I said. Forgive me, oh, God, for the things that I did. I mean, sometimes, my daughter will tell you, sometimes if something is not working right, I'll take that hammer, whoa, you know, I'll throw it. And I shouldn't do those things. But this human body, this human nature does things. I heard it said one time that the old nature of Adam is coming out. And, you know, I don't want that. I don't want to be short-tempered. Because if I'm working around somebody that does not know Jesus and they see me act like that, are they going to say, hmm, if that's Christianity, I don't think I want none of that. They need to see that we are long-suffering, and when we make a mistake or when I hit my finger with a hammer, mm, mm, I need to just say, praise the Lord, <laughs> instead of, yes! <laughs> oh, come on now, how many in here has ever done that? How many online's ever done those things? How many people has ever said things they shouldn't have said and automatically have to say, God, forgive me for saying those things? We are human and we do say things, but we must immediately begin to say, Father, forgive me. We must be forbearing. Now, I want to tell you right now, a lot of people don't want to be forbearing, do they? They don't want to have patience enough with other people. Some people just to the 
point to where that they are the most. Oh, Lord, they, they, all they want to do is come in and cause trouble. No matter what you do, somebody's there to try to cause trouble. But you know what? What do you do? What do you do when people come in and they cause trouble? Are you supposed to jump in their face? Or are you supposed to let Jesus come out in you? Are you supposed to let them see who you really are, who Jesus really is? And if you remember in the Bible, did Jesus take and did he go out and did he lambash everybody? No, he did not. Well, he did the scribes and the Pharisees. No, he did not. He used the word against them and he didn't do it hatefully. He, the one time he did, but he wasn't hateful. He looked at him and said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, how would you like the Lord to tell you that? That'd scare the heart out of me if he told me that. Wouldn't it you? I got news for you. I want to be, I want to have unity in me where that others can see. I want everybody to know that I am one in Christ and Christ in me. I want them to know that I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit shines forth and that the light shines. Divine oneness. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit, and even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul introduces a series of seven things that are one. These emphasize the fact that Christ cannot be divided. That is, his work is in us, continues a unity, and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change his mind. God does not change his ways. You and I change, but where we need to be is, is in God's word and in upon our knees praying and asking God for his guidance, praying and asking God to deliver me from all the things in my past that I don't think about anymore, that other people cannot see anymore, but let you shine through me. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. The Holy Spirit leads, it guides, and it corrects. And it'll also give you an awful whipping if you're disobeying. If anybody says that won't happen, just stand back and watch. The first three unities are one body and one spirit and one hope. One body refers to the church, the body of Christ, which, it, which is referenced referred to in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 and God gave him Christ to be the head over all things to the church which is his body and what do you think about that you are the body of Christ everything you do every move you make do you take and cause all right we as older people have issues in our body we have things that happens to be like arthritis. We have joint pain. We have muscle pain. 
we got headaches and things like this here, right? But you know, if we are the true body of Christ, and if we take and we cause pain in one of those joints, how much are we hurting Christ? That joint pain that we have hurts us. But how much when we disobey God and we're not in unity with him and we're not in one and in sync with him, how much pain do we put him in? Do we place him back upon the cross again? Do we place him back where that he is interceding for us before the cross? The one thing we need to do is be very careful of what we say and do in this life. In Paul's day, the emphasis was that the church consisted of both Jew and Gentile, united as a spiritual body of Christ. Today, the body of Christ is in, has many members and many emphasis, but it remains one spiritual body. The church is one in the same way that apostles are one. And you'll find that in John 17, chapter 17, verses 21 through 23. The Holy Spirit is one. It is the Holy Spirit in the church who gives it unity. It makes it truly Christ's church. Furthermore, we come into the body of Christ by drawing of the one spirit. His regeneration and indwelling provide us a spiritual power to perform as Christ's body. How many of us that was raised in church? I know my Uncle Louie was. All right, all right. Everybody knows about the church, right? Everybody knows about the Holy Spirit, right? How many remember the church could be, you know, kind of getting excited and things like this here. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit began to speak, began to start to move because he wanted to say something, all of a sudden, the church got quiet. Even babies that were crying, hushed. I remember this because the church was full. I remember these things, and I know Susan does because her daddy was a pastor. When the, when the Spirit of God began to take and to really move, all of a sudden everybody just stopped. They didn't move. They just, they, just stopped. they just stopped and they rested their head. They began to bow their head in reverence. And all of a sudden, the tongues would come out. And then there'd be an interpretation. It was either for exhortation or it was for to give you warning to change what you were doing. We don't have those things anymore, hardly. Hardly ever do you hear prophecy. Hardly ever do you hear uh, tongues and interpretation anymore. Why? Because we're not close to God like we should. We don't have the gifts of the Spirit moving in the house of God like we should. I tell you, my daughter, when, when the Lord starts working with her, yes, I'm going to uh, take and and lift her up right now. But when the Spirit of the Lord begins to move upon her, she's very sensitive to the Spirit. And she begins to speak, 
when, when uh, she has somebody set off to the other side and they're talking and the Spirit of God moves upon her. And the one thing I like about it is it's always true because everybody always says, that's true, that's true, that's true. And you know, when God moves upon a person like that, they call them prophets. Back in the old days, God used the prophets. God used them in many, many ways to give warnings, to give people advice, to tell them to go to war, to tell them not to go to war. But you know, nowadays, I long, I long for that again. I long for the church to be so close to God. I long for the people to take and be praying at home. I long for them to be in their car praying all the way down to the church house. I long for when they get out of the uh, cars and they come into the church that they sit down after they shaken hands or they come to the altars again. Y'all remember when the altars used to be full before church services? Uncle Louie, you remember that, don't you? Boy, I'll tell you right now, the Spirit of God began to move and the Holy Ghost would move. Boy, you talk about a powerful service. We had one. You know, the Spirit of the Lord moves here and it moves upon the pastor and he preaches you know, if everybody would be sensitive to the Word of God, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, what a powerful service that we could have again like in the old days. But we need to get our minds off of, well, what are we going to have for dinner? Hey, I'm going to watch a football game after, after church today. My mind is upon that. Well, let's see. What are we going to do next week? Next week, we're going to go on vacation. Next week, we're going to go do this. Next week, we're going to do that. I can't wait till church is over with so we can go fishing. If we would get our mind upon God, could you imagine what the Holy Spirit would do in our services? Could you imagine the healings again? In the last days, he promised us, he said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And if we would take that in the consideration and believe what the word of God says. Could you imagine what God would do? There could be somebody that walked in here that had a, that had a short leg. And we prayed the prayer of faith. That leg can grow. That arm can grow. Amen. That eye can see. The ears can hear. The dumb could speak. The demons would have to flee. Amen. I believe these things. Know about anybody else no more today, but I know that if we had the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit, could you imagine what God would do for us today? But have we gotten lax? Have we gotten lazy upon the Lord? Have we got lazy in reading God's word? Is our knees getting to the point to where that they're so feeble that we cannot sit down in a chair and say, "Oh God, I can't get down on my knees, but I can sit here and I can pray." Have we gotten to the point of where that we are laxed in God? Please don't get laxed in God. We've got to minister to the body. It is the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Did you know that grace is a gift? That's what it says right here. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
All we have from God stems from his grace. In fact, his saving grace forms the foundation of all other divine gifts. Without this grace, it is not possible to possess any other gift. It is grace that opens the door to all other treasures of God in Christ. In verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 68:18. This psalm deals with the conquering king's return. He begins to he brings a band of soldiers or of prisoners with him and marches them triumphantly through the street and then demands the ransom that the conquered people must give him. Christ did just the opposite. For the host of the captives, he led. William Barclay wrote in the Old Testament, the conquering king demanded a receiving gifts from men. In the New Testament, the conquering king Christ offers and gives gifts unto men. I want those gifts in my life. I want God to move upon me. I want the Holy Spirit to move upon me. I want to feel that touch one more time that I felt before. I want to tell you, when you feel that hand upon you, you never forget that. You never forget that hand. I remember that hand touching me on my back. And I turned and there was no one there because we were talking about the Lord. That is so precious. If you've never experienced it, Lord, you need to. Paul said Christ not only led the captives out, but he gave gifts unto the people. Paul is thinking of the part all believers are to play in the life of the church. When he speaks of Christ's gifts to us, each of us should seek to determine the special endowment of God through his spirit that he has for us in the ministry and the leadership gifts are available to those who are open to the spirit to work in their lives. Are you willing to let God work in your life? Are you willing to sacrifice a few meals? Are you willing to sacrifice time to read his word? Are you willing to sacrifice a moment of time just to pray and seek God? You know, pastor has everybody to pray five, he says, just give God five minutes. You know, I, I, wanna, I wanna say this, and I agree with him 110%. God gives us 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year. How much of that 10% do you give him? Do you give him 10% of that time? Do you take 10 minutes out of that? Or do you take for your own self? I'm guilty. Hey, I'm guilty. You doggone right I'm guilty. There's times that I hadn't prayed like I should. There are many times that I hadn't read the word of God like I should. I'm not boasting on myself, but I read every morning when I get up and I go to bed reading God's word because that's him speaking to me. That's God opening up his mouth and speaking to me. And there are times when the word of God jumps out at me like you turn the light switch on in a dark, dark room. And I thank God for that. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether in prophecy, whether in ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, showing mercy. Does everyone show mercy as they should? The exalted one, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Now that he ascended, what is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Jesus Christ descended from heaven to earth and in the incarnation. The once the same one who walked this earth is the one who returned to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. He loves us so much that he died for us. And he makes intercession for you and I when we do wrong and we call out to the Father. He heals the sufferer and he seeks the sinner. He confronts the sorrowing and he is a friend to the outcast men and women. I thank God that he is my friend. In verse 10, the descent which follows the ascent of Christ is coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Christ came in the person of the Holy Spirit without restriction of physical peace, place, and space. With the gift of the Spirit, all gifts of Christ to the church are included in this reason. Nothing needful is lacking for the fulfillment of the church life witness. Just like I said a few minutes ago, if we will only just do what God asks us to do, could you imagine what God would do in this church? There wouldn't be no empty pews. There wouldn't be no empty seats. This house would be full. And I know it would. Gifts to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The apostle list gave ministry gifts. Christ is placed in the church. These gifts are the individual Christians who are to serve spiritual needs of the church. The nine spiritual gifts named in 1 Corinthians 12 operated through the individual believers. Thus, Christ ministers, as here described, are his gifts to the church. They remain, they retain, and defense, dependence on him, and recognize their sufficiency need for the miraculous grace and for the work that he wants to work in us. The list begins with apostles. Marvin Vincent wrote, the distinguishing features of an apostle in the New Testament sense were commissioned directly from Christ. Being a witness of the resurrection, special inspiration, supreme authority, 
exceeding by miracles, unlimited commission to preach, and to found churches. That's what an apostle is. Prophets are named next. The Hebrew word for the prophet means literally one who is inspired of God. The prophets all felt themselves to be spiritual leaders commissioned by God to warn their compadres, contemporaries, Lord and mercy, of the perils of the wickedness to point the way to true righteousness and to give guidance to moral issues. You know, that's what we need today. For when we are not working in the right way on a job, our boss is going to come up and he's going to tell us about it. He's going to say, hey, you didn't do that right. I need you to redo that again. If you're building a wall and it's off, you're building a foundation and it's not square. Somewhere down the line, something's going to be off. The thing of it is, if we are off and we don't have anybody around to give us warning, Lord, how mercy. I hate to know what might happen if I didn't do the right thing before God. Because when you pray and you seek God, God himself will tell you what is right and what is wrong. Chuck, when, when you do something that you know good and well you shouldn't do, God will prick your heart and tell you, Chuck, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. If you don't ever take and, and say, God, forgive me, that's on you, right? If you take and you say, God, forgive me, I should not have done that, but I did. Please forgive me. God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and all our unrighteousness. God said it. I believe it. I know that he is alive, and I know that he is well, and I know that he is the giver of life. I know that he is a man of sorrow when he was here on the earth. But you know what? He was also acquainted with grief. We are too many times because of the way people treat us. But you know what? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'd rather live by him than I had what man has to offer. Because all it does is cause nothing but sadness and sickness. Paul mentions the evangelist. The evangelist is one who shares a wondrous story of salvation and the cross, thereby clearing presenting saving truth. He was the traveling missionary to the early church, preaching Christ and urging people to recognize the claims Christ has on their lives. I'm glad that God put a, put a claim in for me. Finally, Paul listed pastors and teachers. The dual role of these individuals is described as in Acts 20 and 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased by his own blood. That right there is the reason why that I pray like I do when I get behind this pulpit. I fear the Lord God Almighty with a reverence fear. But I also know that if I do wrong, that I could wind up in some serious trouble. I've been reading that there was a king 
He wasn't supposed to go in to the temple. It was only the priest. He went in. And because he went in and he did wrong, immediately leprosy hit him right there in the forehead. And he had that until the day he died. You know, God has grace and he has mercy. And he gives us that grace and mercy. But we also need to know the right and the wrong. But when we know to do good and we do it not, to us it is sin. And the Bible tells us that. He says when a man knows to do good and he does it not, to him it is sin. So the first thing we need to do is make things right between us and God. Because it is what God wants us to be. We are infants no longer because we got to mature together. You'll find this in uh, chapter 4, 13 through 15. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man. I am trying to be that. I am trying to be a perfect man. It's hard. Anybody that says it ain't hard to be perfect, I want to know what kind of life you live because I want to know that. I want to know what you're doing that makes you perfect. And to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctoring, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. There is one gift that God gives every man, and that's discernment. If someone got up here and they wasn't close to the Lord where they need to be, you're going to know it if you're a Christian. You're going to know the right if they are right, you're going to know if they're wrong. You're going to know if they're standing in the line of Christ or if they're standing in the line of their own selves. There was one time I was listening to a man on, on, uh, on television. Man, I'm telling you, this guy was putting down the word of God, and I mean he was getting down. Well, it was almost shouting time. But you know, the, one of the worst things he did that made me to the point where that I wish I could have got inside that television and slapped that man's jaws. I know that ain't the way it's supposed to be. But spiritually minded, yes. The very first thing he said was, is a, if a thousand people would send me $200, y'all would be blessed and God would just do this and this and this and this. Lord, have mercy. That is one time that I was angry. I was spiritually angry. Sometimes we have to be spiritually angry, but sin not. I don't like it when people tell you one thing. There are so many different ways out here. There are some churches, I'll put it to you this way. There are some churches out there that preach, if you don't do it this way, you're not going to go to heaven. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're never going to make it to heaven. My Bible tells me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible says. So I don't know how they get that. 
But when Jesus, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins and Jesus comes into your heart, he makes a change. He makes a change in your heart. He makes a change in your life. He gives you peace that passes all understanding. God is a wonderful God. And we listen a lot of times to people on the, on the television. Please be careful what you listen to. Because I'm hearing so many different stories about some of the preachers that are out there. There's one preacher that, oh my Lord, that I've heard that just because one person said on television that there's many ways that you can get into heaven. No, there's not. There is only one way, and that is one way through Jesus Christ and the blood and the cross. There is no other way besides Jesus Christ. You cannot get to heaven on your good works. You cannot get to heaven on your good looks. You, if, Lord, I wouldn't be able to get there anyway. Lord, have mercy. This ugly face, I'm telling you what's the truth. I'm surprised that I, I, I got a face. <laughs> no, I'm teasing now. But seriously, we only have one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Only through him do we have life. Only through him do we have a hope. Only through him do we have a chance to be in the kingdom of God, to live forever. Amen? The proper function of the church produces unity in faith. The faith manifests itself in a unity of life, in which the believers are equally and completely joined in Christ and to one another. The object of this unity is a ever-increasing knowledge of the Son of God. This means more than the knowledge of the historical Jesus, but, uh, but also spiritual insight unto his repetitive, redemptive Lord, help me, his redemptive work and his present reign, including the principles and the ends of his kingdom. His faith and his knowledge brings believers into the full measure of the development found in Christ. To become a full-grown adult in Christ is to put aside childish attitudes such as such maturity of Character enables us to follow the, a steady course and not to be tossed back and forth by every shifting current of teaching. It also gives us the wisdom and avoid the trickery of those who would lead us astray. There are individuals who will lay deliberate traps and arrange plans to lead us away from Christ. But the Lord has provided that we are not helpless before, his before this deceit. As we lovingly hold to the truth and seek only the glory of God and the good of others, we shall grow up in him who is, he who is the head, our Christ. The, one intimate, the more intimate we grow toward him, the nearer our union will be with him. And the whole church will be made stronger. That's one thing we need more than anything else is a church to be strong. We need strong lives in our church. We need people that are praying. We need people that will take an intercede. 
I don't even know if we have very many people today that intercede for the church house, for the lost souls. I don't know because you just don't see it hardly anymore. Because if you did see it, then you would know because that person would be the first one to take and to lift up their hands. They'd be the first ones to be able to say, Amen. They'd be the first one to say, Preach it, preacher. They'd be the first ones to be glorifying God in all things. Amen. From whom the whole body, fitty, joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's that love word again. That's one thing we all need to do. The church is dependent on Christ for its growth. The whole body closely joined and properly knit together derives its life and its power to grow from Jesus Christ. When each part of the body does its part, when each of us fulfills our task in the life of the church, the purpose of Christ are released. God wants to use us. God wants to do for us. God wants to give us the blessings. God wants to do good to us. There is nothing that we cannot ask that he will not give us as long as it's his will. And his will is for us is to grow in the house of God. His will is for us to take and get closer to the Lord. His will is for us to have love one for another. His will is for us to take, shake hands. Grab somebody and hug their neck. Amen. Greet them.